John chapter 5, we have come to this portion of John chapter 5 because Jesus went into the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day, saw a man there had been crippled for 38 years, told him to get up and walk, take his bed. Um, which means that Jesus had to speak to his legs, to his muscles, to neuropathways that needed to be regenerated, to tendons that needed to be regenerated, to muscles that were not there. For this guy, after being crippled and atrophied for 38 years just to get up and uh, take his bed and walk, speaks of some remarkable, creative, uh, divine authority, for sure. So... The Jews take note and they say, hey, it's the Sabbath. You know, what's the deal? You're not supposed to be carrying your bed. And the guy's thinking, you know, are you kidding me? I've been laying here for 38 years. You're telling me this is the wrong day to get up? You've got to be kidding me. And they say, well, who told you to carry your bed? He said, I don't know, because he didn't know who it was. And then it says Jesus went and found him in the temple and said, look, you've been made whole. Sin no more lest some worse thing come upon thee. And whatever depth there was of their conversation we don't have, the Jews continued to go after this man that was healed. And he said, it was Jesus that made me whole. He doesn't bother to say he told me to take up my bed and walk. It was Jesus that made me whole. So it says when he says that in verse uh, 16, it says, therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and they sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, again, Jesus didn't break the Sabbath. Jesus upheld the law, every jot and tittle of it, his entire life. The law said that you weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath for personal gain. You weren't allowed to labor. You weren't allowed to do your business. The law of the Sabbath never said you can't heal somebody who's been crippled for 38 years and tell them to take their bed and go home. They had distorted the Sabbath. They hadn't upheld it. And Jesus did. Now, look, the reason he did that is because he wanted to take them and us into the conversation now he's going to have, what he's going to say to them. You know, it wasn't just the miracle. The miracle is called a sign in John's gospel. A sign speaks. It has something to say. You remember when Jesus in John chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 5 there, before the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of chapter 4, it says multitudes were following him from Decapolis, from Judea, from Galilee, and as far north as Damascus. Some estimate 40,000 people following Jesus. And he's healing and doing miracles. It gives a list. And then it says when Jesus sees the multitude... He goes up on the mountain and he sits down. And when his disciples, his learners came to him, he taught them. Because he wasn't there just to do miracles. If you were blind, he gave you your sight and you didn't believe and you went to hell and he, you died. What would he feel like he had accomplished? This man that was crippled, he wasn't just wanting to heal the man's physical frame. He wanted to heal his eternity as well and these religious leaders. He did it on the Sabbath on purpose. He knew exactly what he was doing because it led him then into this confrontation with the religious leaders whom he loved and had something to say to as he does to us this morning. So verse 17 says, But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, 
and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, people say Jesus never claimed to be God. These Jews who understood had no trouble understanding clearly that he claimed deity. He made himself equal with God. And then Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth the Father, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in their graves shall hear his voice. And some shall come forth that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So remarkable to go through the passage. Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders. Look, he understands their conundrum. Even there are some there that are genuine. Is Nicodemus in this crowd? Is Joseph of Arimathea in this crowd? Is Saul of Tarsus in this crowd? Um, the many of the priests that come to faith in the book of Acts, are many of them here listening? Jesus doesn't just blow them off. He addresses them. And as you read through, you see a lot of red letters here for the last of the chapter, the rest of the chapter. As Jesus gives them this dissertation, there's not a single interruption. We don't have anywhere in the passage where it says, and the Pharisees said, they're all standing there mesmerized because of the person and the glory and the love and the power of the one who's speaking. They're just frozen. And what he's saying is beyond what they could ever imagine a human to say. So Jesus then answers them. They want to kill him, verse 17. And he says to them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore, because he said that, the Jews sought, it's a perfect, imperfect tense, they continued to seek 
the more to kill him, because not only had he gone on breaking the Sabbath, is the idea, but said also, continued to say that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So they hear him say, my father, and it's my own father, my private father, my unique father. It speaks of a relationship they understood that no one would ever say that God was their father in this sense. I think twice in the Old Testament it mentions God as the father nationally of Israel, but David and Elijah, Abraham, none of them would lift their head to the sky and say, Father was God Almighty. And here Jesus says, My father, my own dear private father, is continually working until now. Look, what it's saying is he rested on the seventh day. He didn't rest because of his labor. He rested in the satisfaction of his labor. Isaiah says God didn't rest because he was weary in his doing. It was a different kind of rest. Sin enters into the picture. So in in the 20th chapter of Exodus, when the Sabbath is held forth to be respected, there's something that God wants from man that these religious leaders had so clouded over with all the rules and regulations that the Sabbath had become a burden instead of a time for people to sit and seek their God, to open their hearts. Now their God is standing in front of them in human flesh. And he says, my own personal father continually works hitherto until now. And then he says in relationship to that, and I then continually work. If he's working, I'm working. I'm in cooperation with him. We're working together. For them to be working together, it demanded equality. If it demands equality, it demands, then it, can, it, it demands deity. So they understand, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. They understood that. They understood what he was saying. Him and God are working together. There's an equality. For there to be equality, there has to be deity Jesus has kind of set the hook. And now in verse 19, it says, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, and there'll be three of these down to verse 29, Verily, verily, not in the other Gospels, John. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father and is doing there, for what things soever he, the Father, is doing, these also the Son is doing, doeth the Son likewise. So they're, they're, they're on his case now. He healed this man, told him to take up his bed. They're accusing him of breaking the Sabbath. And he said, look, my father works. If my father stopped working, the earth would turn to dust. What do you mean? My father works on the Sabbath. He continually sustains the universe, continually sustains life. He continually sustains everything. And because he works, I work. 
And he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, I can't do anything of myself, but what I see continually seeth, the TH on the end, if you have King James tells you, it's a, it's a present tense. What I continually see the Father doing, not just do, doing, for whatever things he is doing, these also the Son likewise is doing. And you have to understand what he's saying to these religious leaders. I constantly see and understand what the Father is doing. He's claiming omniscience in that, that he's all-knowing. The only type of being that could see the Father continually doing things and understand those things is someone who had the intelligence of God. And Jesus is saying, I constantly see him, what he's doing. I understand it. And what he's doing, that's what I'm doing. So you're mad at me for healing on the Sabbath? I saw him healing on the Sabbath. I saw his heart towards the crippled man. I saw what he wanted him to do with his palate, with his bed. For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that himself, that he's doing, and he will show him greater works than these, he says, that you may marvel. You think it's amazing that I told a crippled man, get up? You ain't seen nothing yet. What I see the Father do, I'm going to continue to do, and he's going to do greater things than this, that you may marvel. He says here, for the Father loveth the Son, and because he loves the Son, he continually showeth, continually shows him all things that himself is continually doing. He says, and he will show him greater works. You, you, you know, it's going to get more profound than these that you may marvel. Now, it's an interesting verse because it says the Father loveth the Son. And the word there is filio. It's not, he, he, he talks about the Father agape, divine love towards the Son. But here it's a, a personal, affectionate love, a brotherly love. You know, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly shove. You know that. Uh, we're, we're, our church is here on Philmont Avenue, the Brothers Mountain, Philmont. Um, this is a brotherly, familiar affectionate. It's so interesting that he says that. The Father, you know, we're in this together, and there's an affection between us. There's, there's a love that's deep, that's family. And because of that, he shows me what he's doing, and I see what he's doing. He shows it to me, and he's going to show me greater things that I'm going to do that you may marvel. For as the Father raiseth, he's in the process, raiseth up the dead and quickeneth, giving them life, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So he says, as the Father, you know, he's showing me what he's doing. We have this unique affection between us so that he shows me things and he's going to show me greater things for as the father raiseth is continually what he does he raises he's raising up the dead 
and quickeneth, giving them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Look, uh, he, he's, he, the Jews believed that only God had the right to give life and raise the dead. They believed that. Um, the Talmud says, and it was taken from writings that took place at this time, it says, the Talmud said that, that in regards to the resurrection, that God is going to summon the souls of men from heaven to earth and then raise and join them to their physical bodies on earth. The Father's going to summons the souls of men from heaven and join them to their bodies on earth. Jesus tells us something completely different. He says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said, no, I'm coming to get the souls of men and take them to heaven. The rapture. What, what the, 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 the Jews believe was completely different than that, but they did agree that only God has this power. They wrote that God alone has the power to bring rain, because to them that was giving life. The, the Israel was a land without rivers like Egypt. It was fed by the rains of heaven. They believe God alone has the power to open the heaven, to open the womb, and to open the grave. And it's in their writings. God alone can open the heavens, open the womb, and open the grave. And Jesus is standing in front of them and says, I do whatever the Father does. He shows me. It isn't that I, I'm snoopy. He shows me. He makes sure I know everything he's doing. Whatever he does, that's what I do. And he gives life. For as the Father raises the dead, this blew their mind when he said this, and gives life to them, even so the Son quickeneth, it's deity then, again, he's claiming, whom he will, whom he will, a little bit of election there. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all, and in the Greek that word all means all, He's committed all judgment unto the Son. So the Father's not going to, the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. What a remarkable picture we have here. Look, the, the Father loves the Son. What, what the Son is, is what the Father is. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's going to tell us this. And what is God's love like to you and I? The reason he's telling us here that he is omniscient, he knows all things, that he's all powerful, that he reserves the right to give life and to raise the dead. Look, it's telling me that he knows what I am and what I ain't. He knows what I was, what I am, and what I'm going to be. He's omniscient. He knows all things. And knowing all things, he loves me. He's begun a good work in me. He's going to complete it in that day. He's not giving up on me. 
He's continuing to work in my heart, my life, conforming into the image of his son. That's the love of God. That he sent his son to die in my place and to be the propitiation for my sins and has laid on him the iniquities of us all. Jesus is coming to all of these things in his own deity and saying this is a reflection of the love of God. I am too selfish and too lazy to be the pastor that I should be. And I am too selfish and too lazy to be the husband that I should be. And I'm too selfish and too lazy to be the the father that I should be. I'm too selfish and too lazy to be the Christian man that I should be. And he loves me. And he loves me. He sees through all of that. He knew who I am. He knows who I am today, who I was. Paul tells us that, that he came when we were at enmity with him. When we were enemies with him, he died for our sin to demonstrate his love. And don't look at me like that. You're also too selfish and too lazy. I know you. You're made of the same stuff. His sovereignty, his omniscience, his love. The Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment to the Son, that all men should honor the Son as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which sent him. Look, we live in a world where people got all kinds of things to say about God. Everybody has God speaks, God talk, you know, God this, God that. Human beings, oh yeah, I believe there's a God, but everybody, you know, they got their own deal. Everybody gets there, their own, everybody finds their own path, all paths lead to God. You know, all that stuff's all around us. Universalism, all of this stuff. Oh, I worship nature, you know, I, uh, the Mother Earth. Yeah, if you've seen the earthquakes and the tornadoes lately, you got one mean mother, I'll tell you that. But, you know, there's Mother Earth out there, I worship that. And yeah, I go smoke a doobie and sit in the park and uh, stare at weeds and think something profound's happening, you know. You know, and then you have all these other religions. You know, this is God. That is God. They claim to be monotheist. Jesus says, he that honoreth the Father honoreth the Son. And he who honors not the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. There's no way to say you believe or honor God unless you honor Jesus Christ. And if you don't honor Jesus Christ, you don't honor the Father that sent him. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves me. He loves me the way I am. I honor his Son in that. He sent his Son into the world to pay for our sins. And you can't, there's only one God. Everybody don't make up their own God. There's one God. And if you don't honor the Son, you don't honor that God who sent him. God's greatest work is redemption. 
The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus came and he's talking to these religious leaders who have missed the boat. He's not just casting them off. I wonder what Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and Saul of Tarsus, he's there, is just getting him mad, I'm sure. He's speaking to these men. And he's saying, he who doesn't honor the son doesn't honor the father who sent him into the world. Verily, verily, verse 24, I say unto you, he that heareth is in the process of hearing my word. Hopefully that's you this morning. Look, if you're here or you're listening somewhere on a broadcast or something, are you hearing his word? I mean, look, those of us here that are saved, we've heard his word. We've embraced his word. But he says, truly, truly, that's, that's the, the, the precedent of it. Truly, truly, amen, amen. I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, present perfect tense, has presently everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed permanently from death to life. So he, he says this, he, he tells us here, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes him that sent me has everlasting life. That's the deal. If you don't honor the son, you don't honor the father who sent him. But if you listen to what the son has to say and you believe the father that sent him, you today here have everlasting life. Everlasting life is not just a blessed hope for the future. It is that. There'll be fullness of it in many ways there. But if you're born again here today, you have everlasting life in your heart. That's why when you get saved, you can't do the old nonsense you used to be involved in and be just as happy. You go out and you do the old things. You think you're thinking, I hope you don't come now. I hope you don't come. Lord, help me get away from my old friends. You know, you just, you know, because you're ruined for this world. Something of eternity has set up in your heart. And understand this. You can reject today what he's saying. That's your choice. But what he says here is the word, if you believe the word of Christ, that word it's not just information. It is the word of God that was made flesh, the word that's eternal. And it has within itself the capacity to cause you to believe. It doesn't just ask you to. You and I are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. Paul says the word of God, it works effectually in us. It accomplishes us. It accomplishes in us. Uh, Jesus is going to say in chapter 17, Lord, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Not true. Truth. The word of God right now has a power to say to everybody sitting in this room who's never come to Christ and anybody who's listening anywhere that has never come to Christ that you can come. You can come the way you are with all of your failures and all, all of your faults. You can come to Christ. And if you do that, you will have today, today's the day of salvation, everlasting life. But if you refuse that, it isn't because you didn't understand, because God's word has its own authority. 
you refuse because you've decided to rebel against the Lord. That's your choice. But here he says, the one who hears his word, earlier I said, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, he says, that person presently has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. If you have eternal life, <clears throat> it's eternal. There's no condemnation. But that person, he says, is past, a perfect tense, is past permanently from ek, out of, and then there's two definite articles, the death unto the life. So as the person that has believed in me presently today has everlasting life, and you're not going to come into condemnation. That's not the judgments that's ahead of you. Ahead of you. But, but he says here that you have passed permanently out of the death unto the life. Isn't that wonderful? You know, little old me with all my problems. Christ bear, bore all of that on the cross. You know, when I go to Israel, I'm always amazed at Golgotha to realize 2,000 years ago on that hill, all my sins were there. Even the ones of next week and next month that I haven't realized yet. Washed in his blood, the price was paid. And he says, if we believe his word, and he's offering it this morning, and believe in the one that sent him, that we have eternal life today. And we have passed permanently out of the realm that's locative, out of the realm of death into the realm of life. Another verily, 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 I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, take note of that, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. So the hour is coming and now is. Certainly this is speaking about regeneration. It's speaking about being born again. He's claiming to be able to give life. And he says the hour is coming and now is. When the dead, you and I were dead when we heard his voice, shall hear his voice and live. Look, there's a young man who comes to Jesus and he said, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere, but let me first go and bury my father. And Lord and me first never work. And Jesus says to him, really, he said, come and follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus recognizing those who have not come to him, have not listened to him, have not followed him, are dead in their trespasses and sins. You don't have to die physically to be dead. So he says here, the day's coming and now is when all who are in their grave, all that are dead, shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Now look, He's going to demonstrate this as well. Greater things than this I'm going to see the Father do than you marvel, than this crippled guy getting up. Because a short time after this, there's a widow whose son died, who's being carried to the graveyard in Nain, and the Lord stops it and raises up the young man from the dead. A short while after this, in Capernaum, 
Jairus' daughter, the ruler of the synagogue, she dies. And Jesus goes to her house, his house, Talitha Kumai, and calls her back from the dead. And in the 11th chapter, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And it's all the religious leaders know about it. It's the coup de gras. And they decide they're going to kill Lazarus for getting up from the dead. I mean, that's a bummer, you know. <laughs> so, you know, you look at these things, and he's deliberate with Lazarus last. We don't know how many other people he raised from the dead. These are the ones that are set in front of us. The dead are going to hear his voice. That's eternally, and that's in his ministry as well. You can wrestle those back and forth. You know, some are going to say, well, you know, the, you know, the guy on the, the name, he really wasn't dead. You know, you could, today we would just say, okay, clear, boom, boom, you know, paddle him and bring him back. No, no. This kid died, however old he was. They took him and they washed him. There's a process that they had to go through. Then they, wa- they wrapped him in the takrachim, the white linen, and then they carried him to the cemetery. He's been gone for over an hour. He ain't getting paddled back. Jairus' daughter, the mourners are already there. He had to go find Jesus in the crowd and take him back to his house. And then Jesus got hung up in the meantime with a woman with a blood flow. By the time he gets back to the house, all the mourning's already going on. And Jesus throws him out and says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. They mock him. They say, we're professionals. We've done this our whole lives. What do you mean she ain't dead? We know a corpse when we see one. And Jesus tells her to get up. You aren't going to paddle her and bring her back at all. But if there's any doubt, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and it says he stinketh. <laughs> so he, he's, the body is already dissolving. It's already corrupt. He doesn't want there to be any confusion. You could paddle that all day long. He can come, it's not coming back. Right? And he saves that miracle right before he enters into Jerusalem his last time. Because he says, the Father's given the right to the Son to raise the dead. You think this is something the Father also is going to show him greater works that you might marvel. And now he says clearly that the Son has this authority also. The hour is coming, and now is, and certainly it would speak to being born again, but there's a broader context. But when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have, be having life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. You know, he's come in our skin. He's born on human flesh and walked among us. He's the son of man. Twenty times in John's gospel, he calls himself the son of man. Eighty times in all four gospels, he calls himself the son of man. Ninety-four times in the New Testament, complete, he calls himself the son of man. It's his favorite title for himself, the son of man says he was made flesh and he tabernacled among us. We beheld his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But the Lord takes that from Daniel 7, and they knew that. Because in Daniel 7, it says, I saw 
in the night visions, and behold, one, like the Son of Man, came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people and all nations and all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So because he is the Son of Man, this one, it says God has given to him the place of executing judgment because he is the son of man. Now 28, he tells them not to marvel. He said, the son of man is going to do some things that you may marvel. But he says, but what I don't want you to marvel at is this. You might see miracles and be marveled that, you know, you marvel at that. You see things, hear things, you're going to marvel at it. But there's something I don't want you to marvel at. You and I today, this, this is something he doesn't want to, to be beyond the reach of our comprehension. There could be a lot of things in the world that blow our minds or hard to understand. He says, I don't want this to be like that. Don't marvel at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in their graves shall hear his voice. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Don't marvel at this. Don't let this stun you. Don't act like this is too much to understand. I want you to understand the day's coming when all that are in the grave is going to hear the voice of the Son of Man. Some of them are going to come forth and their good works are going to be evidence of their belief and they're going to enter into eternal life. Some of them are going to come forth and their evil works are going to be evidence that they didn't listen to the word of the Son of Man and they're going to be raised to damnation. Jesus said that. He said, I don't want this to be hard to understand. Look, it doesn't say we're saved by works, by good works. It doesn't say that's why we're saved. It says those good works are an evidence that we are saved. When, when we were saved, born again, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt inside of us. The Spirit of Christ. If Jesus is doing good works and now he lives within us, the evidence that he's living within us should be that we are doing good things as well. They don't save us, but they're the evidence. It tells us in Ephesians 2, we're, we're saved by faith, through grace, not of works. And it says there that we are his workmanship, his poetry, poema. He expresses himself to the world through us. And that there are good works foreordained that we should walk in them. So it's saying clearly here, there will be those who are indwelt by my spirit, the Holy Spirit. Not the cool spirit, not the drunk spirit, not the, not the immoral spirit, the Holy Spirit. There will be those, I'm dwelling in them. And the evidence of that is the fruit that they bear. Good works. And it says they're going to be raised to eternal life. There are others, he says, who have refused to hear my word. And they refuse to hear it today all around us. And they're going to hear my voice in the grave. And they're going to come forth to damnation. Listen. 
You know in your heart, as I do, there are evil works all around us. It's never been more evident. Did we ever think 10 years ago or 20 years ago we would be seeing what we're seeing now? Not just war, which is terrible. Not just, you know, power and deception. And, you know, not just, you know, I can't believe somebody's telling me I'm not going to be eating meat in a couple of years. You know, just never dreamt of that. But, you know, just think of the things that we see and we hear. And the, and the lust for money and for power. And the hatred of image bearer for image bearer. Think of what we're seeing in government. Government's supposed to be governing over. And they went into the classroom to our elementary school kids to tell them they can be as immoral as they want to be. And they take the, the avenues of you know, enjoyment and entertainment for the kids and they're loading them with all, you think there's not evil? That, that is evil. That is evil to cause one little one to stumble. It's better to have the millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the deepest part of the ocean. Evil's all around us. You make that choice if you're listening. This is what the Son of Man says. He can give life. He can forgive he didn't withhold anybody, and he knew all of their failings. He takes Saul of Tarsus, who is murdering the church and blaspheming his name, and he saves them and turns them into the apostle of grace. There isn't anyone here this morning or anyone who's listening that is beyond the reach of Christ's love, but you will make a decision. It comes to you today to listen to, to hear. He loves you. He's paid the price. He's paid the price because you can't pay it. He went in front of the firing squad for you. He got in the electric chair for you. He took the bullet for you because he loves you. You can hear his word and accept it and live or you can reject it. That's your own decision because that word comes to you with authority today. It's not just a theory. It's not just religious. It's the word of God. And you can reject that and turn away from Christ, and your evil deeds will lead you to eternal damnation. Please understand this. If the voice of Jesus is powerful enough to generate abiding spiritual life today, it will be powerful enough to call forth the dead then. All the ungodly are going to hear his voice and they're going to obey his voice. Whether they like it or not, they refuse to hear him speak of grace and truth. They will be compelled to hear his summons to the great white throne. That's our Lord. He's Lord of lords. He's King of kings. He loves us. You know, he, he, that's why he says, if you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father who sent him. God understands the sinful condition of mankind all over this planet. He mentions every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and so forth. He understands what man is. He understands what man should have been, what he was created to be, how he fell. He understood he was going to fall. So the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. And Jesus came in the fullness of time, in the perfect time, and he paid for our sins. I don't know about you. I am very thankful he paid for my sins. Because there's still a traitor that lives inside of me. 
And if you push me the wrong way, then it'll be your fault. You'll be my excuse. You know, that, that, that can, I, can, that, that I can manifest that. But in my failings, I flee to him. I am convinced of his love and his forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When I make a mistake, and I do, I did 1987, I made one, you know, but, but I flee to him. I flee to him because his arms are open. There is no restriction. What, whatever you've done, murder, whatever your sin is, it doesn't matter. What he's saying is, if you'll hear my word and come to me, you can have eternal life. If you refuse it, your decision, because that word is powerful in your heart and your mind right now. If you refuse that, it's speaking more than just words. It's speaking because it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. If you refuse that and the conviction that comes with it, you will hear his voice one day. When he calls the dead out of their graves, two resurrections here. Number one is the resurrection to life. These are categories, not, you know, a sequence of events. The first resurrection, Jesus, it tells us, was the first fruits of those who slept. rose on Sunday. It says that's when the, the priest was waving the new shock of grain in the temple, looking forward to the harvest that would come 50 days later. That was Pentecost. Matthew tells us when Christ rose from the dead, the, some of the Old Testament saints came out of their graves and went in and bore testimony. I'm thinking, Matthew, you tell us that in one sentence, that's it. Then you let us argue about it for 2,000 years. Thank you. Then you, then you have those at Pentecost. The church begins. The great ingathering has been going on for 2,000 years. If you listen to his word today, it says he can give you life. Then the tribulation, his judgment comes, and he'll be gleaning the gleaning of the corners of the field, no doubt, through that period. And the millennium. That's all the first resurrection. The two prophets outside of Jerusalem. The second generation is a category as well. It takes place at the great white throne judgment and everybody who is part of the second resurrection is raised to damnation. Everything that could possibly have been done to turn them has been done and offered, but they of themselves refused Jesus Christ. I'm gonna have the musicians come, we'll sing a last song, but today, if you don't know Christ, please listen. You could say, oh yeah, I know Christ. Well, is the Holy Spirit working in your life? Could someone look at you and think this person really knows the Lord? Could you demonstrate that by your behavior? If you're not sure, Today, before you leave, as we worship, we're going to ask you to come forward and stand down. If you want to be saved, you want to be done with all that, the Word of God says to you, if you come to me, you can have eternal life. If you refuse, you're lost. It is your decision. Don't blame it on God. Well, how can a God of love send people to hell? This is how he does it. He offers life. He offers life. He offers forgiveness. He offers forgiveness. And then everybody says, meh. And then you go to hell and say, well, how could he do that? Right? The sign, bridges out, bridges out. 
Half mile, bridge is out. Quarter mile, bridge is out. You just keep driving. 300 feet, the bridge is out. You go off the bridge and say, what idiot would do that? Right? He's offering life today. Here, here with us that are gathered, maybe you came with a, a relative or a friend and they asked you to come and you don't know Christ. Forget about Calvary Chapel. Forget about religion. You can't honor God unless you honor the Son because that's his ultimate plan of salvation and love for the lost race. If you've never come to Christ, you need to do that. And Jesus is going to tell us to John, if you're willing to confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father and all the angels in heaven. Let's stand. Let's sing this last song. You make a decision. Don't push it on him. But if you hear him speaking to you today and he's calling you as we worship, we encourage you to come and stand here. We want to give you a Bible, some literature to read. We don't want anything from you. We want everything for you. You come. Again, what's your name? Jim. Jim? James. And the Lord loves James. We know that. James heard something in his heart. Same voice that is available to everyone in this room. His eternity and eternity just changed as he came. You listen in your heart. Don't listen to me. And if you hear Christ summoning you today, beckoning, he would rather call you to life than damnation. You can refuse. But listen closely. If you hear him today drawing you, we'll go through this again. We'll sing, you come. doesn't matter what you've done. The Bible says when one sinner comes, all of heaven rejoices. Let's sing through again. Let's pray as we're worshiping. If you need to come, you come. Just come. Come on. You come. I'm singing you this song. I'm waiting at the cross. And all the world holds dear. I count it all as lost. For the sake of
James, I'm going to ask you just to pray this with me. Pray in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud, but let's just together, let's go to Jesus. All right. Lord Jesus, I come to you today, Lord. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I need forgiveness. And I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. Tired of the emptiness, tired of the guilt. But Lord, today I hear that you love me. And I have no idea why you would ever do that. Today I hear you died on a cross in my place. And I have no idea why you would do that for me. But Lord, today by faith, I make that my own. So save me. Cleanse me. Set me free. Give me a new beginning. Fill me with your spirit. Make me your child. Be my personal Lord and my personal Savior. Be my Father, my friend, my King, and my God. And I give you my life. Lord, I can hardly believe you want it, but I give you my life. Let me walk with you every day, Lord. Teach me to love your word. And thank you for forgiveness. And thank you for heaven. Thank you for life beyond the grave. Lord Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. <laughs>